He had a, a roundtable discussion earlier today. We want to talk about that and a few other issues as well. Congressman, welcome. Great to have you here. Jim, great to be with you and your listeners in studio. It's uh, an important issue uh, that you um, uh, were here to talk about today for Springfield uh, in as much as you were pushing legislation that would help uh, the uh, restoration and preservation of historic buildings. And we've had a chronic problem here, as you well know, in Springfield of uh, buildings that should be preserved, but there just isn't the the funds there, the resources, and sometimes they they fall to the wrecking ball. Uh, This is designed to... uh, avoid that. Tell me about your your proposal. Yeah, well, the bill that I've introduced would enhance the historic tax credit. We currently have a law in the books that allows historic tax credits to be put in place for revitalizations, really preserving landmarks, old buildings. And this applies in urban areas or rural areas. And and as you mentioned, Jim, I mean, the foundation of Springfield is our history. We have tremendous buildings downtown, really relics and landmarks uh, that we want to preserve. The historic tax credit has worked fairly well. The building we were in today, the center at 501, is an old church. They used $1.2 million in historic tax credits to do that. Um, this is an economic development tool. So I introduced legislation to enhance this, but specifically our legislation, which, by the way, has 45 co-sponsors. Uh, two Democrats are on the bill and one other Republican. So we're doing this in a bipartisan way. But it really looks at smaller projects, smaller communities, and incentivizes any project that's less than two and a half million dollars. Um, this enhances the credit from 30 percent to 40 percent. But you talk to any developer, you talk to anybody that works on historic buildings, and this will be a real incentive for more, um, instead of tearing down a building, this incentivizes them to redo it, working with the Department of Interior to really uh, uh, preserve the exterior of it, the nature of it, to make sure it harmonizes well. Um, And so we had about 20 people around the table, downtown Springfield today. All are passionate about this issue. Um, Now we're going to take that back to D.C. I hope to get a vote on it by the end of the year, and this will be extremely helpful, not only for Springfield. I represent Quincy. I represent Peoria, Bloomington Normal. All these communities benefit. Uh, Any idea how often this tax credit gets utilized in a given year uh, nationwide? Uh, Well, um, so there's a couple answers. There's one answer to that. But, you know, we have a we have a state historic tax credit that can be put on top of the federal historic tax credit. I can just tell you this, that um, in my district, I can name off the top of my head uh, probably 10 projects that are currently ongoing that involve the historic tax credit. We believe if we pass this legislation, we'll probably double or triple that. Uh, but it, again, will incentivize, uh, you know, protecting these historic buildings. Well, keep us posted on that. Very interesting and important legislation here. Uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, I, I wanted to spend a fair amount of time talking to you this afternoon about the big national story, which, of course, is the ongoing impeachment inquiry. And news just a couple of minutes ago, the White House has apparently sent a letter to Speaker Nancy Pelosi saying that they have no intention of cooperating with the probe until there is a formal vote in the House to authorize an impeachment inquiry. The Speaker said, we, we're, we're now in impeachment mode. We have an inquiry underway. There hasn't been a formal House vote, although members are on the record with their thoughts on this. So your, your reaction to that, and, and does the President have a basis to, to make such a, a claim in refusing so far to cooperate with Congress on this? Well, I've been a little surprised that we haven't uh, done this the traditional way it's been done. I mean, going back to look at the Clinton impeachment, we had a there was a vote. Of course, I wasn't in the House, but we had a vote in the House to start the impeachment process. And then there was a series of events that transpired through the Judiciary Committee. Clearly, that hasn't happened here. We just have an inquiry. I I, I don't know what that means. But again, uh, as if I understand what the president said today, he's not cooperating until that process begins. Listen, I'm not sure if we had a vote 
vote in the House right now, whether there would be 218 votes, which, of course, is a majority of the 435 to start this process and begin the process of impeachment. Well, there's uh, more than that on the record as saying they favored the inquiry. So, I mean, why? I, I'm not sure why they wouldn't vote in favor when they've already said they support it. But I, I'm also in, you know, I'm, I'm no expert on this. I don't know that there's a requirement for this. But Congress does have subpoena power. Congress does have the ability to ask people to come forward and testify and to seek documents. And this White House has routinely rejected that as recently as today in refusing to let Ambassador Sondland testify. Is that appropriate? I mean, Congress does have oversight responsibility over the executive branch. As a member of Congress, what's your reaction when the White House just simply thumbs its nose at that? Well, I, I think you got to look at the basis for doing it. This White House, um, and, and I agree with them in some respects, Jim, they look at the nature of what the allegations are here. And by the way, I've been somebody that has supp- I supported Bob Mueller. I was somebody that said Mueller ought to take his time and do his report. Took a year and a half to do. Some people said, oh, we ought to cut him off. That was not me. He, we, he should do his report. With this, listen, I, I've looked at the transcript. I've read the whistleblower report. To think that we want to remember with impeachment, Jim, I, I go back and look at what is impeachment there for? It nullifies an election. It takes away the will of the people. We're 13 months away from a national election on this. As I read, um, you know, the transcript here and we think about high crimes and misdemeanors, do we really want to nullify the election? Um, and, and, and there may be people in your audience, Jim, that don't like President Trump for a variety of reasons. But that's why we have an election. I have not seen anything as a former federal prosecutor that leads me to believe that high crimes and misdemeanor and that standard, which, you know, it's a little unclear on what that means, but I don't see that in what I've seen so far in the transcript. Now, if there's something else that comes out with a whistleblower, but we're talking about a whistleblower that wasn't even on the call uh, and has come forth anonymously. Um, and, and so there's more information we don't know there. So but an I, inspector general corroborated w- much of what the whistleblower said and said that the complaint was both credible and urgent. Is it really up to the White House to determine whether there's a legitimate basis for Congress to investigate these things? I mean, that's Congress's prerogative, is it not? Uh, The answer is maybe. It depends. For instance, you asked about whether the White House should be cooperating here. You know, conversations that the president has had with that he has a uh, uh, you know, that, for instance, his lawyer, he's got a privilege with his lawyer, depending on the lawyers he's talked to. He has a privilege with a number of people who talk to us. Now, But Rudy Giuliani said he wasn't acting as Trump's lawyer. Well, I, okay, well, that can be an issue. There's going to be a number of legal issues here. Let me just say that. Um, do I think that they can snub their nose at subpoenas? Maybe, maybe not. I think... All of these things are going to wind up before a federal judge in the District of Columbia that's going to have to make a decision on the legal arguments there. There will be a debate. There will be an argument. And that judge, who's the independent arbitrator, is going to make a decision on that. So I I think that's yet to be determined, whether the rationale and the basis for doing this. But clearly, this administration does not agree that what the president engaged here is an impeachable offense. And I have to tell you, I don't agree with that either. But I will tell you this, Jim. When I've been back traveling around my district— People are concerned about how Hunter Biden was getting $50,000 a month. Most people in my district don't make $50,000 in a year. And he was getting $50,000 a month. And the only thing I can see is, but for being the son of the vice president, he's getting this for a country that's poor. Um, and again, he's getting paid by a gas company. But this raises a lot of questions about surrounding this. Congressman, you're, you're the son of a former sitting congressman who benefited a lot from name recognition. Are we really going to say it's a crime now for somebody to parlay their name? into business opportunity or political opportunity? 
Well, absolutely. When you think about the, the set of circumstances here of what occurred, the fact that he is in a, a country, um, Ukraine, and that his father is the vice president and he's sitting on a, a board doing that. Listen, if you talk to any of the Democrat presidential candidates from Elizabeth Warren to Kamala Harris to Cory Booker, they all say this is absolutely wrong. If they were going to become president, they would outlaw this. No one should have this happen. So this is not a this is an well, ethical well, then issue. Where, then where's the legislation to bar this? The president didn't put forward legislation. The president called the president of Ukraine and said, I want you to investigate my rival. Is that appropriate for for our president to call a foreign government and say, find dirt on a guy I might be running against next year? Well, I I, I read the transcript. I saw no quid pro quo in that transcript whatsoever. So it only counts if the president says directly. I mean, he was withholding financial aid to Ukraine at that time. That money had been appropriated by Congress, but it hadn't been delivered. There's conversations back and forth between the ambassadors talking about the, quote, deliverables. And, and one of the ambassadors to Ukraine is saying, are we really tying our assistance to an investigation of a political rival. So there was concern even among people in the State Department on this. But it only counts if the president says expressly in the phone call, give me this or you won't get your money. Well, I think people want to take a lot of things out of context here. You just talked about a lot of different things that are ancillary to this. I think I think they're all connected, though. Well, I, I mean, that's I mean that's what the, the, I think the Democrats are hoping here they're connected. Again, I look at the four corners of that transcript. I look at the whistleblower report. I don't see a quid pro quo. I, think, I, I, I see a phone call. Now, listen. But isn't that why we have to... To have investigations. And if the president can simply say, your investigation is Ill- illegitimate, I don't have to tell you anything, then how do you ever establish whether or not there is something untoward there? Well, going back, let's look at the Clinton administration. I mean, the Clinton impeachment. What happened there? You had a president lie under oath before a federal grand jury. I mean, th- that is a criminal violation. Uh, you could you could bring a case to the U.S. Attorney's Office on this. The Department of Justice has looked at this phone call. The lawyers with this in the CIA looked at this phone call. They did not decide there was a um, uh, a criminal violation there that was prosecutable. Now, I understand the Democrats want to make something out so, of this. So wait a minute. They didn't decide that their boss committed a crime. <laughs> All I'm saying is th- there are examples that we have where there's criminality. I use the, the Clinton example here. Uh, again, people are entitled to the, entitled to their opinions on this, Jim. But as a former federal prosecutor, you have to have facts and evidence to back this up. And when, isn't that why you have to have an investigation? Well, okay, so why don't we vote on that in the House? But whether there's a vote or not, isn't there still a need to investigate? Uh, I mean, Congress has oversight power. Uh, is is the standard going to be from this point forward that any president can just simply tell the Congress, I, I don't I don't like your inquiry. I don't think it's legitimate. I'm not going to cooperate. Well, again, I think all those issues you just mentioned are going to be for a judge to determine that. I mean, this is this gets down to some separation of powers. Uh, again, I tend to think um, that this is a you know, really, I hate to say this, Jim, but but it's a partisan attempt to go after this president. There are many people in the Congress that, uh, for instance, Al Green, he's a Democrat from Texas. He's the first one to call for impeachment. The other day, you know what he said on CNN? He said, we need to get this impeachment done because this president may get reelected. I'm like, there's a Democrat that's honest. Um, We have an election coming up. That's what we ought to have. I just think um, there's been a narrative built with the Mueller report that wait for the Mueller report to come out. You're going to find the president colluded. He did all of these things wrong. He's going to be impeached. We got the Mueller report. It was a big dud. It was a big zero. Except the Mueller report specifically said we we can't clear the president of of these crimes. Uh, ex- obstruction, for example. We, if we could exonerate the president, we would. We're not able to do that. Isn't that a red flag there? 
But again, Bob Mueller had the ability to recommend charges. He said he didn't. He he said that he's not allowed to indict a sitting president. I I, I understand that on the obstruction charge, but on collusion, which was the narrative built by the Democrats for a year and a half. Again, when Nancy. So I would just equate that again, somebody that wanted Bob Mueller to do his work on this. They didn't get what they wanted there. So when Pelosi did her press conference two weeks ago, before she had read the transcript, before she had looked at the whistleblower report and said, we need to move forward with the impeachment inquiry before the transcript had ever been released. It's almost, Jim, the way I look at this is impeach first, find the evidence later. But, but wasn't the point of that to try to free up the transcript and other documents to say we're now having an impeachment inquiry? That's how we get the documents. If they hadn't done that, how do we know for sure the transcript would have ever been released in the first place? Well, I think the day before it was announced the transcript was going to be released before she ever had the press conference. Mm, I'm not quite clear. I think on the if you look at the on timing that. on that, okay. uh, it, they had announced that they were going to release the transcript, and that's the right thing they should have. Your uh, your father, former Congressman Ray LaHood, was quoted last week as saying that impeachment should be avoided at all costs. Does that mean he now thinks the impeachment of Bill Clinton was a mistake? You'll have to ask him that. I'm not. You sure. haven't talked to him about it. I, I I haven't. I have not talked to him about it. You really? know, you, you'll you'll have to ask him about that. You in, know, in in the last well, twenty years, you haven't asked oh, well. him whether he thought that, <laughs> that that they should have done that or that, that it was a good move or a bad move. He presided over that impeachment. I, I would I would think that. Um, in it, what my dad would say on that, I believe, Jim, would be that it tears the country apart, impeachment, right? Um, regardless of who that president is, whether it's a Republican or Democrat, I think his thought on that was, again, um, when the Republicans that served on the Judiciary Committee brought those short, and my dad wasn't on the Judiciary Committee, brought those charges forth, that it tore up the country. And that we ought to be, we ought to think long and hard before we go down this path of impeachment, particularly when we're 13 months away from a national election. People will have the ability to make this decision. There will be choices a year from now. This is something that, as in using his words, is a plague, something that's going to tear the country apart. In the backdrop of all this, the president announced this week he wants to pull our troops out of Syria. That's caused a real outcry with the possibility of leaving the Kurds unprotected there in Syria. Your thoughts on that move? I, I, I'm against the move. I think it's a mistake. I've spoken out against that. I mean, what does this say to our allies, particularly the Kurds, that are now going to be sitting ducks? Um, They stood by us when we fought ISIS. They stood by us when we captured the ISIS fighters. They stood by us when we um, regained that territory in in northwest Iraq and also in northeast Syria. They've been by us. We have an obligation, a responsibility to stand by them, uh, to to pull out. And I, I just read before I got in here, the president's rethinking that position. I get really worried when uh, we make decisions based on national security and helping our allies and what that message sends when it's, uh, I think, um, not based on um, facts and evidence that uh, I think are important in this case. The president assured us, though, in a tweet yesterday that if Turkey gets out of line, he, with his, quote, great and unmatched wisdom, will destroy and obliterate their economy. Did did that give you any uh, better feeling about the whole thing? And, And do you think the president has, quote, great and unmatched wisdom? Well, I would say this. I would feel much better if our military was there and we relied on that than rather than a tweet. Uh, you have signed on as a uh, an honorary co-chair of the president's re-election effort here in Illinois. How do you feel about his chances in 2020? Well, I look at the results in this election. Put aside the politics, put aside, and let's look at the results. We have the lowest unemployment rate we've had in 50 years. We're at 3.5%. 
Uh, you look at the record job creation, manufacturing in every industry across this country. You look at prosperity. Uh, anybody that looks at their retirement plan, either a 401k, a 529 plan for their kids, uh, we've had a record level of prosperity. You look at uh, the two justices put on the Supreme Court. I think these are excellent justices that now serve on the Supreme Court. Rebuilding our military. People don't talk a lot about that. We don't have a big military footprint here in central Illinois, but you talk to anybody that serves in the military. We have rebuilt it. People are proud to serve in the military. We're putting America back on track. So I look at those results and what the president has done in this administration, largest tax cut in American history, and people have more disposable income at every level uh, of this economy. People are doing better than three years ago. So I look at those results, and I think that will bode, bode well for constituents in my district and across the state of Illinois. But we live in a participatory democracy. Uh, we're going to have a choice next year, and I, I'm going to be happy to defend the president's record when it comes to the economy. Congressman Darren LaHood, really appreciate your time this afternoon. Always great to talk to you. Thanks again. Thanks, Jim.